I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read this portion of the Word of God and then try to sink our teeth into what I believe is at the heart of this portion of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have the notes in front of you, see that the uh, title of our discussion this morning is Unashamed and Bold. As I read this text, I want you to have this question in the back of your mind. How many of us are as bold as we would like to be about the truth that matters most? Okay, how many of us, as we sit here this morning, can say, I am as bold about the message of Christ, about the gospel that truly sets people free, as I believe that I should be? Okay, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands as I float that out there, but I want you to... As I read this, ask yourself the question, what is it that Paul says to Timothy in, 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 in an effort to encourage him to fight off being timid, the desire to quit, and to be bold about the message that matters most? What are the things that he's going to say to him in this passage of Scripture that will help us to cultivate and maintain a boldness about the message that matters most? Second Timothy 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it now lives in you. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline so do not be ashamed to testify about our lord or ashamed of me his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of god who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done is that not glorious not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted unto Him until that day. Now those are powerful words. They're the words of the Apostle Paul to someone in verse 2 that he calls his dear son in the faith. Very likely that Paul is simply saying, Timothy, I brought you the good news courageously. 
And by his power through the working of his spirit, God worked out his plan of salvation in your life, Timothy. And spiritually now, you are my son in the faith. So we learn that Paul and Timothy have a personal, vital relationship. Verse 6. We also know that Paul was instrumental as God's individual who God used to lay hands on Timothy in what we would call ordination, which simply is this, the acknowledgement of God-giving gifts to communicate the gospel of Christ in the context of church life. Paul was the one who laid hands on Timothy, and God used him as the means by which he filled Timothy with a calling and an ability to do the work of God. So we find that he is his son in the faith, and that he has been called into ministry under the influence, under the direction of God, through the Apostle Paul. I think we could argue that Paul, based on the way that he talks to and about Timothy, Paul is concerned with Timothy's successful running of the race, fulfilling God's call in his life. Okay, I think we can at least say that. Paul wants Timothy to finish the race well for the glory of God. And so he is, in some senses in this text, you get a a feeling that Paul is pleading with Timothy. He is concerned for Timothy. Some patterns perhaps have emerged in Timothy's life that have become a cause for concern for Paul. And so as he speaks to him, you find that it is laced with emotion and power as he cries out to him. This morning, I am also conscious of the fact that Paul had a unique relationship with Timothy. If you look at verse 5, Paul says, Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now that it lives in you, which begins to indicate what? That Timothy had in his life a strong female influence in relationship to the gospel. But Paul was his spiritual father. It is likely, I think you can deduce from this text, most commentators would agree to this based on some of the inferences in the book of Acts. It is likely that Timothy's dad is either gone or is not a believer. And so as Paul writes, he is speaking to him as his dad, with passion and deep emotion about a concern that he has for Timothy, and that is that Timothy would would gather together, would fan into flame a courageous boldness about the message of Christ because of its ability, because of its capacity to set people free when it is proclaimed. Now, I think all of us can say this this morning. We know what it is to be timid in the proclamation of truth, because we live in a world that is not real open to truth claims, particularly about issues like morality. Now, I I need to make a confession as I lead into this illustration. I do not watch the Miss America pageant, okay? But, Miss California was asked a question leading towards the end of the pageant. She was asked a question that really put her on the horns of a dilemma. That, in a sense, tested her. And I don't know her heart. I'm not judging her when I say this. But she gave an answer that spoke truth, but also tried to soften the blow of truth. She was asked about the topic of same-sex marriage, what she felt about that. And she got caught in the horns of a dilemma, the question apparently catching her a bit off guard. 
thinking in her mind, perhaps, this is what I surmise, if I answer this way, this is the response. If I answer this way, this is the response. Either way, she was caught in an incredibly difficult position. Because if you are going to strive to be a high-profile individual in America, it is likely that you are going to have to acquiesce, sacrifice, or compromise in terms of your convictions. And as you listen to her answer and then later clarifications, you start to get what happened. She wanted to say what she believed, and in a sense she did. But she kind of fudged on it at the beginning and kind of upset people on both sides of the issue. Many of you have probably been asked questions that have caused you to kind of pull up a little bit and say, okay, how if I answer it this way, this happens. If I answer it this way, this happens. And if you do that too often and you compromise in relationship to the proclamation of truth, you're going to fall into the same trap that Timothy has apparently begun to fall into. And Paul is writing to Timothy to warn him about the trap of compromise that kills courageous, bold proclamation of the message that changes lives. And so I want us to work our way through this text from a couple of angles. First of all, there is obviously in verse 7 an urging on the part of Paul to Timothy to avoid being timid or weak or this idea of quitting the proclamation of the gospel. He's wrestling with this kind of a thought. And so in verse 7 he says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Timothy, that timidity, that Weakness, that lack of courage that you're feeling, is not from God. It's arising in your flesh, probably out of fear of man. I think most of us can identify with Timothy in this struggle to a certain degree. So number one, I, just a, a thought that emerges is this. The urge to be timid, to lack courage in the proclamation of Christ is quite common. And I think what is encouraging out of this passage of Scripture is that Timothy has been identified as a minister of the gospel, has been gifted as a minister of the gospel, and is struggling with fulfilling his God-given calling. So there is this common tendency that Paul identifies in Timothy, a spirit of timidity, perhaps a leaning towards being a bit cowardly in relationship to the proclamation or of his passion for Christ. Here's the question that I think we need to address. Was this urge that we can say is somewhat common, was it a tendency for Timothy? Was it a tendency? Does he have an inclination in this direction? That's the question I think we need to answer. Now, let me just take you on a quick jet tour through the book of 2 Timothy. Verse 8. Paul says, Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Why would you say that to someone? Either you're giving them original instruction or you're encouraging them to be more bold, more courageous, more direct in the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Now let's look at some other verses real quickly then. Verses 9 and 10. He says that, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, verse 16, verse 16. He says, may the Lord, show the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. Okay, 
Kind of indicate, Timothy, you're wrestling with this. Onesiphorus stood up and was a man. Verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why would he tell him to be strong? To man up. Because probably Timothy was struggling with an emerging tendency. Verse 3. Endure hardship with us. Now Paul broadens out, doesn't he? Not just from his personal experience, but he's saying, Timothy, we want you to stand up with us. You're tending not to stand up. That seems to be the indication. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. He says, For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. So what is Paul doing? Paul's reiterating the courage with which he is standing up for the good news of Christ. And I think there's a sense in which he's just saying, Timothy, please step up and be the man. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, do your best to present yourself as one approved to God. So you you find this idea of constant calls. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. What is it? It's a warning, Timothy. Things are not going to get easier. They're going to become more difficult. Verse 10 of chapter 3. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Chapter 4 and verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. Okay, so I think we can identify, I'm not giving you all the verses, but I think we can begin to identify in Timothy a pattern towards timidness, and Paul is calling him away from that pattern and encouraging him to be a courageous, bold proclaimer of the gospel. I believe that that tendency towards being timid, a little bit reluctant, is somewhat common. Now, we can ask this question. Why is it that Timothy was struggling with being timid about the message of the cross? Why? couple suggestions. We know from the pastoral epistles that Timothy wrestled with illness. That he had physical suffering. Paul said to him, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So there was this wrestling with physical illness. We also know that for Timothy, there was a concern about his age. 1 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but be an example of the believer. Timothy, don't let your age be a discouragement to proclaiming the truth of God's word. And also, I think the idea of temperament is probably an issue for Timothy when it comes to bold proclamation. He wants to, he knows he should, but he has a temperament that in some ways is causing him to be a reluctant witness for Christ. And so in this passage, Paul is calling Timothy to a bold proclamation of the gospel. John Stott makes this observation on this text. He says, We are all more sensitive to public opinion than we would like to admit. And we tend to bow too readily before its pressure, like reeds shaken by the wind. Can you identify with that? We all tend to bow too quickly to public opinion. We are too sensitive to what people think about us. Because here's the question you have to ask yourself. If that's not the reason for my silence about what matters most, what other reason could there possibly be? 
And I think that often we are, we wrestle with proclaiming the truth because we're concerned about the responses of the audience to which we speak. Often we want their respect. We want to be seen as intellectual. We want to be seen as well thought out. And Timothy had his struggle with this issue of being timid. So the, the urge to be timid is quite common. And, and as I look at that, I'm going to encourage you to do this. Think back to when your faith in Christ was new, when it was fresh, and your love for Christ just kind of bubbled over, and you, you really didn't care what people thought. It's kind of like what happens to young lovers who are out in public uh, showing public displays of affection in a way that is annoying to the audience. Okay? They don't care. Why? Because they are so deeply in love with each other, so appreciative of each other, that their expression of love and affection is persistent in a way that can be annoying to the audience. But one thing they're not wrestling with is this, fear of what other people are thinking. And it's fascinating when you think about this, isn't it, in Revelation chapter 3. What kind of Christians does Jesus reject? You know what they are? Lukewarm Christians who have lost their first love for Christ. And a loss of first love for Christ, a first love kind of, a first uh, like kind of love for Christ, one of the first indications of a dying passion for Christ is silence about Christ. And Paul is concerned for Timothy that he needs to identify this common problem in his life and begin to address it. And I think something else is very critical. The fact that Paul is addressing this in a public letter to a church in Ephesus tells us that Paul is anticipating that Timothy is not the only person who is wrestling with this. That the problem is common. And I'm going to guess that even the Apostle Paul at certain times had to man up and say, be the man, experience whatever consequence comes for proclaiming the truth of Christ to the world that God had called him to minister to. The second thought I think then that emerges is this. The urge to be timid, to quit, to lack courage, must be resisted. I think verse 6, Paul's calling Timothy back as he calls him to be more bold and more courageous to man up that there is this, in verse 6, a very specific way to get his heart back where it's supposed to be. He says, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Now, I understand that this passage of Scripture is directed specifically towards someone who is in public ministry. Okay? I understand that. But I believe that the principle that's encouraged here is vital for every believer. Since the tendency to become timid is common, I need to respond to that tendency with the advice that Paul gives to Timothy here. And the, the advice that he gives him is, Timothy, you need to resist this fading of courage, this rising of timidity by fanning into flame the gift of God, the call of God. Remember the love of God. The picture uh, in the context is of a fire. If any of you have ever sat around a fire, campsite, fireplace, in a pit, whatever it is, you know that sometimes the fire can tend to die down and begin to smoke in a somewhat dramatic way. And if you want that fire to rekindle, to begin to consume and burn and work with power, what do you do? You introduce 
fuel to the fire. Okay, now my, my brother once did that with a can of charcoal lighting fluid. I wouldn't recommend that. Okay, the fire ran up the uh, stream and we had a problem. The fuel for fire is what? You've got two, two ways you can go here. Okay, one answer coming to your mind is wood. Okay, stoke it and put wood in there. But the real fuel for fire is what? Oxygen. So if you fan the flame, you remember how the uh, uh, blacksmiths would have an enormous bellows and they would pull down on the handle of that bellows and when they introduced oxygen to the embers that were glowing, what did you get? It would roar and flame. What is Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy, introduce fuel into your passion for God because it is tending to become weak and lack courage. And because Paul has a parental relationship with Timothy, that's not okay with him. And so as he's writing to Timothy, he is encouraging him to pour fuel on his spiritual life. And this idea of fanning the flame in verse 6 is in the present tense. He's saying, Timothy, this should be a a habit of your spiritual life. That as you see your fire for God begin to wane, fan the flame. Folks, this morning, can I encourage us as a church to do that? When you sense that, that, that in your heart, hey, it's been a while since I have courageously spoken for Christ, or if you sense that your answers to questions that are asked of you are getting weaker and less bold, can I encourage you to follow God's advice here? Fan into flame the fire that he has put into every believer by his spirit and a call to every believer to take the message of Christ courageously out into our world. And we strive to do that, but what do we find? Sometimes we become timid. And Paul's saying, when you notice, Timothy, your fire for ministry, your fire to serve God and to proclaim truth about Christ, when you find that diminishing, I want you to introduce fuel to the fire so that your faithful service to God will become passionate i think it's really this it's a call to maintain the heart to be sure that i guard my heart now here's the question i want to lead into what is the fuel that god wants us to feed into our hearts that he's going to speak through the mouth of paul to timothy paul's dear son in the faith what is the fuel that he wants him to introduce back into his life and the question i want to ask thirdly is this how do we maintain a deep I want to say courageous and bold passion for Christ and the gospel. Okay, how do we do that? How do I look at my life and say, okay, Pastor Tim, this morning, I can be honest. My desire to speak for Christ has faded. For various reasons, my boldness when I have opportunities has vanished. It's gone. I don't have that. I remember what it was like to have that. And to desire to share Jesus with others on a regular basis in my interactions. I remember what that's like. But I have to admit that in my life right now, it's just, it's not the white hot fire. It's there. I know it's there. When you talk about it, I sense in my heart a desire, but I have to say the fire has dimmed down dramatically. How do I get it back? And and just from this text, just a couple of suggestions that I think will be helpful to us as a church family. And, and, and let me just say this. Most of what I'm going to share for you is this. 
remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. That's, in a, in a sense, the essence of what Paul is going to say to Timothy. Will you look with me at verse 8? He says, Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Now think about this. Timothy, he's our Lord. He's the one that saved me on the road to Damascus. Paul could say he was theologically a raving lunatic against the body of Christ. He was enraged. And he was confronted by the grace of God. And his life was transformed. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And what's the next phrase say? Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know what? Most people think I am an independent, strong, self-centered man. And that I just get my stuff together and go out and proclaim Christ. That's what most people think about Paul. Because he was so bold. But what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, Timothy, I do this by the power of God. Join with me in the power of God. And here's the first truth. Remember that in your battle with timidity, you are not alone. Remember in your struggle to be bold and courageous, God is not up in heaven cheering you on from a distance. He wants you to be bold and courageous. He wants you to kill timidity in your life. He wants you to kill cowardice in your life by His power. Now there's a sense in which I think Paul's saying, Timothy, you're not in this alone because I'm your brother in Christ and your spiritual father. And I'm doing this, Timothy, join with me. Let that thought encourage your heart. As you stand for Christ, as you are bold, your life is encouraging others. And the exact opposite is true. You get around a Christian who has fallen down in this regard, who lacks passion for sharing Christ, it will draw away from the fire of your life. But when you get around a Christian who is passionate about Christ, who loves to share Christ, they will put fuel on your fire. And it is a glorious sort of relationship to have. Paul's saying, Timothy, remember, as your spiritual father, I'm with you. And Timothy, God is with you. Which is why in verse 7 he says this. He says, Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, or a desire to quit. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. He gave us a spirit that allows us to hang in there in the proclamation of this glorious truth. And what is he saying to Timothy? I think you learn if you go to 13 and 14 of this chapter. He says, Timothy, what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And notice verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Folks, when God saved you and sent you out to be a, a change agent in your world, He did not send you out alone. He, by His Spirit, goes with you. So Paul says, Timothy, guard the deposit, the proclamation of Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm with you, Timothy, and God is with you. That's why Paul can just boldly say to Timothy, get over your dying uh, 
passion for Christ and fan into flame a glorious passion because as you do that, God will come into your life and begin to use you in a powerful way. The Holy Spirit is the glorious gift of God to make every Christian bold and courageous in their witness and service. And another thought that Paul says to Timothy, first, you're not alone. Secondly, verses 8 and 9, I just think this is so absolutely beautiful and encouraging. He says, verse 9, God is the one who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His, listen to these words, own purpose and grace. That is deep. That's almost uncomfortable kind of talk, isn't it? God chose us for His own purpose that we would become bold representatives of Jesus Christ in our sphere of influence. What is he saying to Timothy? Let me just give you these words. God, Timothy, set his undeserved love on you. And Paul uses this word. God, Timothy, chose you. And when did he do that? Notice as you move ahead. This grace was given in Christ before the beginning of time. Timothy, God's purpose for you precedes your existence. So Timothy, there's nothing that you have ever done that caused God to love you or to choose you or to begin to work in your life and save you by His grace. It is a purpose that was planned in eternity past before we had done anything. That's humbling. That's humbling. God has set His undeserved love on you, Timothy. Let this be fuel for your fire. He, God, planned to do you good. And He planned to do you good from eternity. It takes me back to verse 1. Paul says, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And so, by the will of God. What was Paul doing when God changed his heart? You know what Paul was doing? He was breathing out cursings against the church of Christ. He was on the road to Damascus after watching over the martyrdom of Stephen. And in that text it says he was breathing out cursing. I want to ask you something. Did Paul make a decision to come to Christ or was he arrested by God's grace? You know what Paul says? God got my attention. And there was no alternative. None. So Paul says, Timothy, remember my story? Remember how I came into the family of God? I was set upon by God's undeserved love from eternity past. From eternity past. Okay, That is astonishing territory. But you know what it builds into your heart? A sense of gratitude and humility that will fill you with love for Christ and make you a passionate witness for Christ. Folks, if I think that my salvation is a result of me making a good decision apart from the aid and help of God, I don't understand the gospel. I don't understand that I was dead. That I was obstinate while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. And if we forget that, it will kill our passion and love for Christ. But when we remember it, we remember when God knocked on the door of our heart 
convinced us of his grace, showed us our sin that we couldn't see apart from him, and gave us this wonderful gift of faith, and changed our lives. And I, I just, when was this love set on us? Before the beginning of time. And, and it's fascinating that you'll find that when God is describing the work of his son on the cross in Ephesians 1, he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in the book of Revelation, that is stated three times. Three times. And that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life when? Before the foundation of the world. What's Paul saying? Timothy, God loves you. And he doesn't love you because you deserve it, because you were eligible. He loves you because he is a God of amazing and incredible grace. Folks, if you want to have a passion for sharing Christ with people, just remember this. You are what you are by the grace of God. He set his grace, his undeserved love on you. And so at the beginning of chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. He so what does he do? Paul is rooting Timothy in the unmerited favor of God that was set on him in eternity past and has been revealed in this time. When the Gospels and the epistles were being written. The ground of Christian confidence is that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and have been called according to His what? Purpose. His plan. So He's saying, Timothy, God had a purpose and grace that He was going to bestow into your life. Second half of verse 9. He says this grace, okay, that was planned in eternity was at a point in time on earth was given us in Christ Jesus. So if you and I lived in the first century, we would have been living when the grace that was planned prior to creation came into planet earth and became visible. This is what John the Apostle means when he says, we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We touched him, we heard him, we handled him. We love him. That's what John's saying. And Paul's saying this grace from eternity became known. It became visible for the world to see. It was given us in Christ before the world began, before the beginning of time, New International says, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of his son. And I just love what it says next. His son who has destroyed death. Folks, what is the ultimate fear? Let's be honest. What is the ultimate fear? The ultimate fear is the thing that we, in this country, spend billions of dollars on to avoid. The reason, the reason we should go and wisely go for exams at certain ages is there may be something in your body that will threaten to end your life. And we may be able to put that off if we catch it early. But the bottom line, what motivates us to want to take care of those things is we want to live longer. We want to avoid death. Well, this text says that Christ Jesus destroyed death, the greatest enemy, and brought to life, and has brought, I'm sorry, life and immortality to light through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, he destroyed the power of death. 
Paul begs the question rhetorically, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It has been swallowed up in the victory and death and burial and resurrection of Christ. Folks, here's the third piece of fuel that you can throw on the fire of your heart today. Christ was crucified and raised for you. There is no one in this room today who has a sin too great that the blood of Christ cannot cover. Not one. Not one. And I'm sure that there are probably some sitting here today who think, I have a sin that is too great. And I would beg to differ with you based on the death of Christ and His authority over death when He raises from the dead. Because on the cross, He paid the full price for your sin because the wages of your rebellion and mine is death. His death is the ground of your salvation and forgiveness and He has conquered our most formidable enemy. That's why Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 can say this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, in light of the resurrection, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know that our labor, our courageous proclamation and living for Christ is not in vain. Why? Because He, in His resurrection, brought to light, made visible the capacity to overcome death through His resurrection. And in that, He triumphed over our greatest fear. Paul says, Timothy, don't forget, Christ died for you, yes. But Christ was raised for you. And when He was raised, He brought to light immortality, a life that never ends in the presence of God. Folks, that should encourage our hearts. Because look, the greatest threat that you and I can ever face for proclaiming our faith would be death. Is that not true? Man, <laughs> one writer said it this way. He said, man, he said, he said, you can kill me, don't dislike me. You can kill me, don't, don't dislike me. The greatest consequence I could face for proclaiming Christ is death. And you know what Paul says to Timothy? Timothy, that has been taken out of the way. The effect of that sentence has been eliminated by Christ. That's why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Why? He brought immortality to light through what he did when he was here. Verses 11 through 12, I just have to read through this because we're out of time. He says, and of this gospel, okay, that Christ brought to light, this good news, Timothy, that should excite and fill the church with passion. Of this good news, I, Paul, who persecuted the church, was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That, Timothy, is why I am suffering, yet I am not ashamed. Verse 8 tells you the kind of suffering that Paul's in. He is in prison for proclaiming Christ. And he's afraid that Timothy is going to be concerned by Paul's imprisonment and become quiet about the message that matters most because Timothy doesn't want to be in prison. Paul says, Timothy, man up. Be courageous. Remember what Christ has done for us, Timothy. I'm, not, I'm, I'm doing this because I know I have a bright future ahead of me, Timothy. I'm willing to suffer this. Yet I am not ashamed. Why, Paul? Because I, and listen to this, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced 
that He is able to guard everything that I've entrusted to Him, my life, until that day. Folks, here's the thing that will fill you. This is the, the fuel that will cause it to burst into flame. Your passion for Christ. Paul says, everything that I've given to Christ, my life, He is able to keep until that day. And that that day is clearly through the New Testament. Terminology that identifies the day of the return of our Savior. Paul says, everything I have given up to God for the glory of God is protected for me in Christ. No Christian in heaven is going to say, you know what, I, I got the bum end of the deal. Okay. We're not going to say that. Paul's saying, I am so bold, Timothy, to the point of prison. And he, his death, you get to the end of this book, he says uh, in verse 5, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Timothy, my days are numbered. My name is written on the executioner's calendar, and I am not ashamed. Why? Because I know the one that I have committed it to is able to keep it until that day, and I am not ashamed. Folks, may God take the words that Paul speaks to Timothy. And if you don't know Christ, may his proclamation of the gospel to Timothy as a means of encouraging and boosting and throwing fuel on the fire of his life, may that proclamation of the gospel this morning shatter your fear that your sin is too great. And may you respond to the call of God if you sent it this morning. His pleading with you, see your sin, see the Savior. That's the message. And may the example of Paul and the call to Timothy be the means that God uses to fill the sails of our boat in life. To make us bold, unashamed proclaimers of the message that Marie, you so beautifully shared with us. It's what sets free. To partner with a ministry that has as its aim the gospel of Christ and the building up of the church that is to proclaim that truth. What a privilege. What a privilege. Wonder this morning, are you afraid? Are you timid? Do you lack courage? Do you want to quit? Paul's message to you is, hey, fan into fire the burning embers. And let him put a, a joy in your heart because you know the future is secure. Folks, if you know the future is secure, it's a lot easier to deal with the downturns. If your investment account is now about 30% of what it used to be, is guaranteed to be of the original value in three years, guess what? You're not worried. You're not worried. You know what Paul's saying? I've sacrificed a lot. And the balance sheet of my life right now reads death. But I'm not ashamed. Because Christ brought to light immortality, eternal life, the hope of heaven. And that will fill your heart with gospel boldness. That's the fuel. Pour it into your life. Fan the flame. If you've never trusted Christ, come, come, come to Him. Father, as we look